Welcome to The Remnant by Reclaim 611 Podcast. I'm Paula. And I'm Carrie. And we are happy to have a very, very special guest with us on today. Her name is... Lindsay Speed. Lindsay Speed. Lindsay Speed um, is with us today, and she is from the organization Traffic 911. And where is that location? Yeah, so we are right here in Addison. Um, If you've ever heard of the Addison Airport. Um, we are technically on the Addison Airport property. We work all over DFW, but we're officed right here in North Dallas. And we're excited to have her in the studio today. We don't yeah. always get to do that. But treat. since she was down the street, we get to see her pretty face today. And Love so, it. Yeah. <laughs> we're yes. excited. Yes. Carrie, you usually have a story about every guest. <laughs> I mean, Ooh. every, every guest. Carrie is our storyteller, for mm-hmm. real. Carrie, do you, do you have I feel a like st- I'm going to fall short today. Oh. I feel like you're setting me up for a failure, uh-huh. Paula. Oh. <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I feel like with Traffic 911, I feel like they were, I've just known about them ever since, you know, we've even entered this space. Probably, I remember having, going to P.F. Chang's with you. Yeah. Um, Probably a couple of years ago, way early and talking about protocols. Oh my gosh! And yeah. because I think you guys were working on all of the initiate or um, kind of programs you're doing that yeah. required protocols, yep, and so we yep, were kind yep. of just sharing about yeah. how important that was. Yeah. Um, and then whenever you anybody talks about traffic nine one one, Lindsay Speed's name always comes up. Uh-huh. <laughs> she is absolutely the face of Traffic 911. Mm-hmm. Knows all the answers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, if yeah, you've had right. a question. <laughs> oh, no, for real. Candace and I always talk about, we're like, just ask Lindsay. She's a go-to. Yeah. If I don't know, I just make it up and, you know, you <laughs> smile and nod and it's great. <laughs> I love it. So I was really excited when she was willing to come and um, talk about this topic that needs to be talked about okay. more often. I love it. So, um, Lindsay, you are the executive director of Traffic 911. And from what we know, Traffic 911 has at least 10 years of freeing youth from sex trafficking, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this is actually our 11th year. So we were founded in 2009. And really just um, from someone in the community finding out about this issue and was just like, we have to do something. And that's how a lot of stories start. And, uh, and so we've had the same mission for now 11 years, which is freeing youth from sex trafficking and have had a heart for, um, the kiddos. And, uh, and I know a lot of people think more of like a, you know, seven or eight year old, but our average client is usually around 15 years old and we get to journey with them, um, through, what healing looks like for each person and what's been cool, I guess. So this is my 10th year um, doing this. Actually, this month is our last month was 10 years. And I think what's been cool is watching the anti-trafficking landscape over the the past, um, I would say, 10 years since since, uh, I've been around is seeing things evolve, seeing the community come around, seeing more organizations, more systems rising up and, and affecting this issue. But it's been a fun journey just seeing, um, I mean, in the early days, we were like, we're going to open a safe home. And a lot of people hear about trafficking and their first kind of go to is like, they need a home, they need a home, which they do. Um, but that was that was our, uh, our journey early on was we actually did open a um, state certified safe home about two hours south of Dallas. And 
and learned what it was like to live with these youth 24 seven. And it's a lot different, you know, than, than a lot of people think. I think people like, Oh, they just need love and a Laura Ashley bedspread and everything's going to be <laughs> fine. And it's like, Nope, Nope, definitely not, so not it. And, and so I think that taught us kind of to where we are today. We've just had this cool journey, um, of, of learning what it looks like to really meet a survivor where they are and find out what they need versus telling them mm-hmm. what they need. So so I have a question. I probably should have asked this first. So <laughs> every organization has a name, right? Yeah. And yep, there's yep. a meaning behind every name. Yeah. So how did they come up with that name? Why that name? Yeah, yeah. And it's a good question. It's kind of a twofold meaning. Um, part of it uh, that's a little bit more obvious is just this idea that when we started to learn about this issue 10, 11 years ago, it was no one was talking about it. Definitely not to the extent that they are today. Still today, uh, it's not talked about as much as it should be. But back then it was like, no one is talking about this. And this is an emergency situation. Okay. Um, these kids are dying. Mm-hmm. And and so that's kind of that 911 effect. Um, the internal meeting is actually from Psalm 911, um, God covering us in his wings. And so yeah, that's kind of I our, our internal meaning I of the night. Yeah, it's oh sort of got gosh. a double meaning. So. And it's so funny. I just read Psalm Psalms 91. 91 this week mm. because my daughter is so memorizing good. it at school. Oh, cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. So that is so it's such a I great, did not know that. great verse. And so, yeah, internally we love to, um, yeah, have that verse as our mantra. I love it. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. I love it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And before you answer this question, I, I read this amazing, amazing quote from you hmm. on the website. And it just stuck out to me. It, it captured me. And you, you believe that free people, free people. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what led you to this space. Because you said that you were in corporate America mm-hmm, first, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so then you switched over to trafficking and wanting to help rescue these young people. Yeah. Like, wh- what led you here? Yeah. Tell us about that. I mean, I can only say God, uh, number one. I mean, it's, just, it's these crazy stories where it's like, how how did I get here? <laughs> and that's when you just, you know, it was the Lord. But uh, for me, yeah, I started out in corporate America. I have a degree in horticulture, which most people don't even know what it means. They're like, go Google this after this. I studied plants. Right. And so there's no <laughs> reason on paper why I should be here today um, other than just cool stories and God interventions. But I was in corporate America. I started hearing a little bit about the issue probably in 2009 and uh, had had a friend of mine had connected me and said, hey, I really think you need to meet this lady who would then become my mentor. Her name's Elisa Jordheim. And um, and I just sat down with her one night at Starbucks Mall in North or Starbucks at North Park Mall, and she just started telling me about what the issue looked like here locally. And I had no idea um, that this was going on locally then. And there was just something in the, in me that sparked. Like that night, I remember going home, and I called my mom, and I was like, I cannot unknow what I just learned. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot unknow this. And uh, I was working corporate marketing and I'm like, dang it, I'm going to help. It was, we were sort of this grassroots, all volunteers at that point. And I was like, I can do marketing, communications, whatever. I just want to help. And that's sort of my impetus. And over the years, um, it's been really hard for me to 
grapple with why me, why, because I don't have a story similar to a lot of the, the young people we serve. And so um, probably wasn't until about five years ago, uh, we really started embracing counseling and therapy in our, on our team um, individually. And and I started kind of learning in counseling. One of my, some of the formidable memories when I was a young kid was we experienced a lot of like verbal and emotional abuse growing up in the home. And um, I, I think what I learned is at a really young age, I could not stand for people to be treated poorly. Mm-hmm. I could not stand it. And it was like, I was this shy middle kid, so I wasn't going to fight about it, but I was like internally in, inflamed, you know, and, um, and seeing that happen kind of to my, to my brother and my mom was actually even more impactful than it probably happening to me, just seeing, um, people be hurt and not be treated fairly. And so that along with so many other things I think has taught me that, um, even though that wasn't good, what happened when I was young, um, it created this justice gene in me mm-hmm. that had that not happened, I don't think I would be here today. Mm-hmm. And so it's just these cool, and so that kind of leads into free people, free people. I think my story has just been, you know what, it doesn't mean that we all have the same story, but as we learn freedom for ourselves, to the extent, honestly, that we can learn to embrace our own story and our own freedom is the extent to which we can help others be free. So that's kind of where that comes from. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that, you know, going to counseling and just kind of taking that back for yourself and reflecting, yeah. like, how much can come from, like, well, wh- why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. really sparks me to do this? Yeah, I love it. I love it because it also um, is this shared humanity thing, like, where yeah. we can come to the table with the youth we serve um, saying, like, you know, I don't have your story. You don't have right. my story. But guess what? I'm just as broken as you are. And I want to come to you at that from that posture, you know, not this like, oh, let me tell you what you need and the five steps you need to recovery. It's like, look, I'm, I'm sending counseling just like you are next week, you know, and I think right. there's something beautiful about that safety, you know, that that creates. So yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I've thought that many times, just, I don't have that story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and then yeah. Paula, you know, we don't share that same survivor of trafficking story. And sometimes you wonder like, I can't understand what you go through, but that doesn't mean that our stories aren't powerful yeah. and that we can't make a difference. So, so I appreciate you even sharing that. Yeah, I love it. So tell us a little bit more about the organization and the services that you all offer. Yeah, so that's been a journey over the last <laughs> 11 years. Like I said, okay. we started in in safe in, this, in the residential piece, did a lot of outreach over the years, which I think helped us um, again, learn about this issue, um, which has gotten us to where we are today, which really we almost, I would almost say we couldn't be here today without our state really, um, taking hold of this issue. And in 2015, let me get nerdy for a second. There was some legislation that got passed that really began to help coordinate the effort of child sex trafficking in Texas and through that, there was like there was funded mandates of some um, some legislation, and um, we had just closed the home at that point. And I we were kind of wrestling with like what is our what is our like our sweet spot because mm-hmm. um, we had identified all these kids every year, but then man, we were only able to serve this few in this home. There's got to be another solution, and that's when it was like it just kind of it happened really naturally, but it was like, what we do really well is just walking with these youth Mm -hmm. is walking with these girls and saying, you know, we don't have all the right programs, all the right this, but, but we have us, like we want to walk with you 
in whatever that looks like. So if you're going to placement, if you're going to drug treatment up in Iowa, if you're going out to Arizona, if you're staying here in the community, we just want to be with you. We want to walk with you through healing. And so we took that, what was that kind of natural thing that we already did and enter in the state to kind of create this coordinated response. What we do now is we get to kind of formalize what I just said, which is creating relationship walking with youth into what it looks like is, is advocacy, crisis response, and case management for these youth. And so in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and Dallas County, Collin County, Tarrant County, Denton County, there are, uh, every county has created these protocols that say, you know what, if a child sex trafficking victim is identified in our county, this is what's going to happen. And it's very specific. And so we get to be a part of that process in the way our advocates go and respond in crisis response to these youth and just begin walking with them and advocating with them um, for the long haul. So it's uh, from their childhood all the way, hopefully through adulthood, you know, as long as they want to stay with us, we're with them. Um, just, just navigating choices and, and challenges and um, home life and food and whatever they need, therapy, we want to help um, be that bridge to, to get them those things. And so in a nutshell, that's kind of what we do. The bridge. Okay. <laughs> the bridge. Okay. So you all don't have the residential home anymore. Correct. All right. Yeah. So how do you get clients? Yeah. Or, or, how how they do come the victims to us. come to you? Yeah. Yeah. So mostly through law enforcement, actually. Okay. So in these different counties, um, as law enforcement or CPS um, identifies a kiddo, um, we're sort of in the process for them to call us. And so a lot of our cases come in through crisis response. So it would be a recovery, let's just say in Dallas. Um, the way it happens a lot is um, the Northwest Division recovered a girl off of Harry Hines and um, DPD sends them over to the high-risk victims unit and the high-risk victims unit calls the CAC, I, I use all these acronyms, and I was like, what are, what are you talking about? The Child <laughs> Advocacy Center right. and us to then respond. And so one of our advocates goes out, and um, and it's usually started through law enforcement or an investigative agency. Gotcha. And I have to make a healthcare plug because what's yeah. really awesome Sometimes about this, yeah, it is, and I've, I've seen it in action. And what's cool, and I don't think all healthcare systems really know about this kind of known protocol yeah, that happens yeah. but when law enforcement is re when it is reported as mandatory reporters in the hospitals law enforcement already knows who to initiate yeah, when yeah. it comes to minors yeah. and so they will like she said go ahead and call and contact child advocacy which sparks them to respond yeah. and um candace and i have both seen your representatives from traffic 911 come to the hospitals and meet cool. um, those youth there so just i think as listeners some of you guys who you know work in healthcare might not know that exists here but yeah, it does and yeah. law enforcement really cool. is very aware of traffic 911's program so yeah it's yeah. it's we should be proud of our communities cuz it's really cool the coordinated response that's happening and that our community and our systems really are wrapping around these kiddos um, who get identified here so we should all be proud of to be a part of you know cities who are taking this seriously you know that's awesome. Again, we are interviewing Miss Lindsay with Traffic 911. She is the executive director, and we are getting some great information on today. So, Lindsay, I want to ask you another question. Um, what are some challenges 
that you face when dealing with this particular population? Because I know it's challenging. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> as much as the healing, like it's all great, but yeah. you're just, you know, you know, this is not roses yeah. and Ashley bedspreads, like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying, I think a lot of people, uh, they hear what, 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 you know, I'll be talking to someone like, man, how do you do that? It's so dark, it's so heavy, it's so hard, it's so ugly. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it is. But also we really get to see the most incredible human resiliency. Like we get a front row view of that. And and so I want to say that because it really, there is so much beauty mm-hmm. in what we get to see. Um, but I do get that it's, it's, a, it's a dark, hard thing and there's no easy answers. And I think, I think, gosh, there's so many challenges. One of the challenges I want to say that maybe relates to everyone is, um, the public perception of what they think this is versus what it actually is. Okay. Um, I think that that's hard and, uh, how we've kind of communicated it lately, especially, I don't know if you guys were a part of watching all the stuff in the summer about the Wayfair movement, uh, the Wayfair, uh, trafficking thing that happened or that supposedly happened and, um, hashtag save the children. There's all this like, Oh my gosh, we've got to save all these children that are in these, you know, dog cages that are being trafficked through armoires across the you know, border, all these things. And we're like, okay, I'm glad you're passionate about this. Um, let me tell you that if this is the way you believe it's happening, the youth we serve are actually do, there's a disservice happening because they're more invisible. Mm-hmm. If you're believing, um, these sensationalized stories. And so I want to say that that's a a challenge and a barrier because we need our communities. It's like to the extent that our community wraps around their, their hands around their arms around these kids is the extent to which we can solve this issue. And so if our community doesn't see it rightly, they don't know that, man, this is our own kids. This is marginalized populations. This is, this is the kid down the street from you, you know, in, um, in maybe a hard home life or a single parent home. This is, this is our kids. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that that's a big challenge. And I think that one of the biggest solutions is for people to learn, like learn before you act, go do your research, learn more about this very nuanced, complex issue. Um, for the girls, I would say, and I say girls, we have, we actually had a couple boys just this week Oh wow! Um, referred. And so it does happen to boys. Um, most of them are girls. So if I say girls, that's why. But I would say some of the biggest challenges are, um, oh man, where do I start? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Where do I start? I would say um, family and relationships is, is, a, is a big issue. And so if there's not safety in the home, darn, we're, we're starting at, you know, yeah. at a um, deficit. And so if a kid gets recovered and then we're trying to figure out, well, you know, where is safe to them? Well, if home's not safe, then okay, we're we're going outside that, which is very often the case. And and um, you know, let's say a fifteen year old girl gets recovered, home's not safe, but also let's say she's addicted, so maybe she goes up to a drug treatment center. Let's just say does well there, which would be awesome. Um, stays there for six months. What happens then? Mm-hmm. Is she comes home? Um, and, and so what are we doing, you know, to help address some of the family issues, some of the brokenness, relational brokenness and that that's a big challenge, um, because we can send them off to treatment all day long. 
Um, but but what's what are they going to come back to? And most of the time, um, the youth, at least in my experience, they want to eventually come back to family. Mm-hmm. Um, family's a big, huge. Right. And so um, I think that that's one I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> so do you all have something where you incorporate the family? Like, are there some situations where um, the family piece is actually ideal for the kid to return to? I I mean, I'm sure it's not often. Yeah. But do you have some instances where that happens? We do. We do. Um, If I were to put a percentage on it, I would say maybe, maybe 20% of the time, um, there's a healthy home environment. And, and I would say it's either that there's a healthy home environment or that the, the, the family actually is equipped to deal um, with this because, you know, there there very well may be families that um, didn't necessarily do anything wrong or have an unhealthy environment. But, man, after a, a, a youth has been through something like this, um, not everyone, not every mom or parent is equipped to know how to help them heal. And so I think that that's the sort of nuance to that. Um, the rest of them, I think a lot of people have a misconception that if you're talking about children, why isn't our state stepping in? as far as like child protective services and things like that. And there's a, there's a big myth and there's some, some statistics out there that really aren't accurate to what we're seeing here, at least in DFW, that uh, this big percentage of foster care youth are all being trafficked and these kind of things. Um, we don't see as much as they're saying uh, on stats. So a lot of times, and only about 25% of our caseload, actually the state has custody. Only 25%, which, like, if you're listening to this as a community member, then what you know is that 75% of those kids, those are community kids. They're mm-hmm. our responsibility to wrap our arms around. Um, CPS is only going to take custody if the parents really did something wrong or they're at fault, and that's not always the case. And so um, I think that that's kind of a misnomer is that CPS should, should do this issue. This is like a child abuse thing, which it is a child abuse thing, but unless it's in the home or, or a parent's fault, um, they shouldn't necessarily be taken away from those parents. And so, yeah, there's some complexities in that, but hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Well, just to clarify, when whenever you have a youth in these situations and they're dealing with the families, are you is there always an open CPS case regardless? Because you, I mean, I'm assuming when you're trying to figure out if the home is safe, that yep. you're having to partner with CPS for all of those cases. Yep. Is that yep, pretty yep. accurate? Pretty accurate, yeah. There should almost always be a case open. Now, if they can tell really early on, like, there's nothing wrong, they may right. not open a case. Um, so it's not, it's not um, always, but more times than not. You're there's, collaborating with, collaborating with them yes, pretty much yeah. all the time. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. There's always a, what they call as a, um, a CPS investigator, who comes in, who's kind of on the scene with us at the beginning. And they're the ones kind of helping to ask those questions of like, what's the deal here? You know, what's going on at home? So, and you had mentioned, you know, as an example, needing to go to drug rehab and maybe it's not here in the DFW area. Is it oftentimes out of the state that that happens? Yeah. I mean, if we can find good places, um, it's something It's kind of in our dream, our, our dream plan right now is, uh, is to kind of build up some reserves for an emergency treatment fund because I think what we're what we're seeing over the years is there are some good treatment places, but number one, not enough. 
And number two, may or may not be equipped to deal with this type of trauma. And so, you know, you I, I compare it to like, okay, if, if, if we have like a middle class, middle to upper class family whose daughter this happened to or whose daughter, let's just even say, um, got really addicted to drugs and, and had some hard things happen. Don't you better believe that that family is going to find the top of the line mm-hmm. treatment place and services for that kid. And they're going to so have the, the money to pay for it. Well, we don't have those, those, uh, those opportunities because we're trying to find, we're just like, oh my gosh, who has a bed for this kid? This, this kid needs a safe place. We're, we'll, we'll go for anywhere. Well, man, why not? What happens when we raise our expectation of these girls should receive top of the line services right. for having to service, you know, 15 Johns a night and, and being abused over and over again. And, and, uh, which is creating this complete distrust in society, you better believe that those kids should be getting great care. And so we're, we're just like, you know what, let's dream big. What if we could help provide um, top of the line treatment services? And if it's in Iowa, if it's in Colorado, let's send them there. Let's let them have the best chance for recovery. Um, and so anyways, I get, I get really excited about that because it's like this flip switched in our mind the other day where it was like, what if we could, like, what if money wasn't an option right. and we could give them a fighting chance, and we should. you know, and yeah. We should. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that you have that perspective that it doesn't like, we want to give them top of the line care. So if that's Colorado, yeah, let's do that wherever that is. And yeah. that what I'm understanding is your advocates, regardless of where they are, stay connected with yeah. them constantly. So what does that look like if you're not even able to, I mean, we have Zoom and all of those things now, but yeah. right? um, is that kind of how you stay communication or do they travel out there? Or Every once in a while, we will travel out of state. Um, but, you know, the heart is there's so much relational brokenness in every single one of these lives. And so a lot of them don't have these healthy connections. And so I don't want to be the purpose of another broken relationship just because they are going to treatment out of state. I want to say, you know what? This is their advocate. This is the the trust. This may be the one person that they trust uh, for the last you know three months. So we want to keep that relationship going. And a lot of times, man, they they might be in treatment. They could be here locally in in a center or um, in another state. And they don't. Their parents aren't calling them. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of um, connection there. And so we may be the only excitement that they have when they get a phone call or they get a letter from, from one of our team. And so we want to kind of, um, be that person, that safe person for them, or even if there's conflict in the home. And so there's not, um, love and belonging with, with who they're talking to, maybe even like if they're in treatment in Colorado and Maybe mom's calling, but every time mom calls, they're getting an argument and they can have, you know, this one person hopefully. And so, yeah, we do, we do really try to stay connected because that, that ongoing connection is just what's so, what we've seen is so important, you know. And sometimes those family calls are, you know, as we've learned, they're like the absolute trigger to (laughs) (laughs) spiraling the other direction. So to have somebody stable who, you know, after that phone call can say, hey, I need to talk to yeah, you know, at least you know you have one safe person in yeah. your corner who's you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, again, we are talking to Lindsay Speed from Traffic Nine One One, and Lindsay, I asked you, you know, the challenges, right? Mm-hmm. But tell me before we go, tell the listeners, tell us a little bit about 
how it's rewarding for you, how, how traffic 911 just gets this sense of fulfillment and joy and the extra push to keep going. Yeah, for me personally. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I often think that the youth I've gotten the opportunity to meet and journey with have done, have like, done more for me than I've done for them. Um, and I think that that's, that's been the rewarding part, the beauty, uh, of, um, just seeing, just seeing like beautiful humanity in, in, in these, in these kids who become women and, um, are so resilient. And, um, I think it's put a lot of things in perspective in my life when I, when I get to journey with them or hear what's going on in their life. And I'm like, I am so blessed and um, I, it's just, but also I get to be broken with them too, you know? And, and, and I think that, that that's the beauty is uh, this isn't a field for everyone. It's hard. It's dark. Um, but, but we also get to see being able to be in that position to journey with them long term. Um, we get to see the beauty of, of baby steps and, and, um, grace just in people's lives when when you know we mess up and and there's still um forgiveness and and so I think just like the journey of the relationship has been really neat um for me personally and I think it's it's put a lot of things in perspective in my own life and um opening up my heart to to just be able to serve the broken and also live in the tension of um my own life and my own family and my own friends who may not be as broken as some of the people I may see every day. And so what is that tension? How can I live integrated to believe that, um, that it's an honor for our community to learn more about the more broken people, uh, and the more marginalized people in our own communities. And so, yeah, that's a big blah, 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 but, um, I could go on and on. I get really excited about it. I love it. Well, it's life-changing. Yeah, no, it totally is. I'm not the same person, that's for sure, but it's for the better. Yeah. All right, well, Lindsay, we thank you so much for joining us today on the Remnant by Reclaim 611 podcast. Can you give us some information about the website that people can go to to learn more about Traffic 911? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, traffic911.com, and it's spelled T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K, and then the numbers 911.com and you can find us on all the social media outlets. Definitely follow us. You get to kind of journey along what some of our advocates face every day um, serving these youth. And so, yeah, we'd love to help you learn more. You know what? I have a, I have a question though, Paula. Go ahead. Go I know ahead. we're trying to wrap, but you know, I'm just going to interrupt go you. Ahead. Yeah. Because you, um, you said volunteers and then advocates. So how do you become an advocate? Yeah. Yeah, so our advocates are all paid full-time staff members, most most with a, a master's degree in something related. Um, and then we have volunteer mentors okay. who uh, who journey alongside the girls once they're a little bit more stable and they're based in their community. And so um, to become an advocate, you apply for us and, and, and work um, like actually a full-time job with us. And then we have the mentors who undergo training, if you've ever heard of like a CASA, it's similar to that. At Court Appointed Special Advocate, we have our volunteer mentors who undergo training and um, volunteer opportunities with us to then 
potentially be interested with a um, mentoring relationship. It's not for the faint at heart, and it's definitely yeah. a, a hand-selected thing, but yeah. Okay, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I was like, well, how do you become a mentor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many, you know, people ask all the time, what can I do to get involved? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It just depends on your background sure. and, you know, um, but good to know how how you can become a volunteer, what that would take yeah. to even be a mentor and the kind of training and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, sorry, Paula. No, it's you're okay. good. It's okay, because I'm sure one I'm of always the, interrupting Paula. No, it's okay. Yeah, I'm sure the listeners wanted to know that same thing. Yeah, What's there you the go. difference between an advocate and a volunteer? Mentor, yeah. And how do we get involved? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again, Lindsay Speed, for joining yes, us today on the you. podcast. Yes, I yes, yes. am. Thank you for having me. Oh, you so much um i'm paula and i'm carrie and if you have any questions you can email us at support at reclaim611.org or you can check out the website at www.reclaim611.org all right and until next time bye-bye guys bye y'all bye